0: Hi, I'm Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. On this special edition of All Things Catholic, I'm so excited to have our guest, Lisa Cotter. Now, Lisa I've known for so many years. I've known her as a student at Benedictine College when she was in my classroom many years ago, and I've also gotten to know her through our work together in Focus for many years. But probably my greatest joy is that the Cotters are dear friends of the Sree family, and we go to the same parish together. And probably one of the biggest highlights is Lisa's husband, Kevin, and I along with a couple other dads, we coach little eight-year-old girls on the soccer field and uh, try to get them to score many goals and win games. And it's a lot of fun. So I get to see Lisa, not only at parishes and at Catholic conferences, but also on the soccer field every Saturday. So Lisa, welcome to the All Things Catholic Show.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. And I love that the introduction included the fact that we soccer together. That's so great. (laughs)
0: Well, you're here today not to talk about soccer, as amazing as that is to talk about. Um, uh, but but we're here to talk about your re- most recent book, Reveal the Gift Living the Feminine Genius. Now, I remember you telling me and Beth about this book a couple of years ago. This has been on your yeah. heart for a while. And, um, it's a lot about this idea, this phrase that John Paul II used, and it's a very well-known phrase, but it's kind of mysterious. A lot of people aren't sure what it really means, this idea of feminine genius. And I'd love to hear your take on what what do you think John Paul II meant by this phrase, feminine genius?
1: Oh, that's such a great question, because the truth is, is that he never defined it which is, you know, a little bit frustrating sometimes because we like things to be clear. But he talked about it. He spoke about it. He wrote about it. He never, though, came out and gave a definition. And so we as the church have had to dig through all of his writings to try to come up with, okay, how can we synthesize this down? And I think if I if I had to put it into a bite-sized little piece, some some way to kind of try to make it simplified, I would say the feminine genius is the person-oriented nature of woman, so it's this disposition that women have and I think kind of where I like to draw from that just so so we all know is from a woman named Sister Prudence Allen. She is a philosopher of gender. She spent her whole life, devoted her whole life to studying Uh, femininity and masculinity. And the way she summed it up was kind of with this idea that women have this interior disposition that focuses on the person. And that's a gift that we bring into this world that John Paul II called vitally essential. And that's why he spent so much time talking about it.
0: Now, I know you did a lot of research on this during your studies with us at the Augustine Institute. And um, what was it that moved you to want to really go explore this?
1: Well, it's actually focus's fault, Um, and and I also would have to say Partially yours as well. Um, <laughs> Uh-oh. What did I do? <laughs> I know. Fault maybe isn't the right word. I should say inspiration. So I was really introduced to John Paul II and his writings first through my senior seminar, which was on love and responsibility. So that was a course that you offered my senior. Year. Everybody who was a theology major had to do this seminar. And I think you were getting ready for Men, Women in the Mystery of Love. Does that sound right? Yeah. And um, this is
0: way back at, at Benedictine. So this is long yes. before you did your master's studies at Augusta. Yeah, okay.
1: That's right. That's right. Way back in college. And so that's when I was really introduced to John Paul II's writings on masculine and femininity, looking at complementarity. So I kind of had, you know, some of these thoughts rolling around in my head a little bit, but it was when Focus asked me to give a talk for SEEK when we, that first year when we said we were going to break all the men and women up each morning, and they said, we want to have a session on authentic Catholic femininity, and they asked me to give the talk, and at first I was like, I don't think I can do that. I don't know I don't know how to explain to women how to be a woman in our world today, especially a Catholic woman. That sounds so overwhelming, like such a big topic, but I prayed about it. And I said, yes. And that's when I really had to do my research and start diving in. And so ever since I gave that talk over a decade ago, it's been on my heart to kind of put all these thoughts into one place as I've spoken with women over the years about this, this topic, about being a woman in the Catholic Church. What does that look like? What does it not look like? And so finally, the book came out just this last year.
0: So in in the book at the beginning, you acknowledge what you just stated here is the the lack of precision about exactly what feminine genius is and I love the the quote from sister Prince Allen there that you gave that, that helps us to you know give some shape to this but you add your own layers of shape to this early on where you identify various characteristics virtues qualities uh, that you think exemplify feminine genius you call it these eight feminine gifts I'd like you to share with the listeners what those are And how did you come up with them?
1: Yes. Okay. So I'll give the list first, and then we'll talk a little bit about where they came from. So the list I use in the book is maternity, sensitivity, receptivity, self-giving, intuition, generosity... Fidelity and strength. And these are words as I was combing through JP2's writings, not only from documents like Mulieris Dignitatum or his Letter to Women, but also in the early 90s, he spoke quite frequently on femininity in his Wednesday audiences, sometimes even in those the Angelus Address, which I believe is on Sundays. And I was drawing out from there, okay, where am I seeing some of these concepts, some of these words? coming forward again and again and again. And so that's how I pared down the list. But I think it's important to note that this is not a set list. And just like JP 2 never defined the feminine genius, he also never gave us a list of the characteristics or gifts or attributes of the feminine genius. And this really confused me when I first started my research because I kept finding these lists. And they would be similar, but there would be words on there that weren't on other lists. And I was like, well, where's the list? Where's the list? And then I finally realized there's no list. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. just people taking their own study and and kind of trying to break it down in a way that's a little more manageable by looking at these different gifts. And so those were the eight that I came up with. Um, But it's certainly not exhaustive in terms of what JP2 said.
0: And when JP two talks about femininity, you know, he he really was challenging, you know, people in the, in the modern age to you know discover the the genius that womanhood brings, and there's a complementarity, um, and there's different forms of feminism out there that we're often trying to say things like, you know, well, no, no, women should just be exactly like men; they should be able to do exactly what men do, and they should be able to be exactly what men are. And uh, what did, what would JP two say about that kind of modern feminist approach?
1: Well, I think this is why he was bringing it up, because he was noticing there was really, especially when he was speaking on this in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, big push during that time, right? Like, women, assert yourself like men. And he's seeing that, and so he was concerned about it. And so for him, he wanted to make sure women understood that the gifts, the unique gifts that they are, I like to say... um, I like to quote Benedict on this. He talked about how women are the, the privileged sign of certain gifts. So I think it's important to note too. It's not like, oh, well, women are called to be generous and men are not, right? Like, no, these are human gifts, but there's something unique to our nature as women that we are the privileged sign of certain gifts because it's it's kind of natural. It's built into us. It's written on our, our very bodies, even in the way that we were created. And so JP too wanted to make sure that Women didn't lose this, this vital piece of who they are because it's necessary for the world, right? What men and women uniquely bring to the world, if, if we all just went towards one natural gifting of one gender or the other, then we would lose a piece of humanity, as John Paul II said it. And so it was really important to him to praise women, to bring these things out, to remind them of who they are, which he was so good at, just reminding us of who we are. Mm.
0: So these these particular gifts, these qualities that you identify here, it's not as if men don't have intuition or, right. or men can't be receptive or live self-giving and all these things, of course. But, but I, I like that, that there's a certain privileged witness that woman womanhood brings to the world, uh, perhaps in in these virtues. So what I really appreciate about the book is how it's not just theoretical. You know, you, you, you go through some of these points at the beginning, but then the heart of the book really is just turning to beautiful saints, women who have exemplified these wonderful qualities. And so... Now, there's a lot of the saints that are that you you, you cover here. I'll I'll share with the readers. You, you mentioned Saint Elizabeth Ann Seton, Dorothy Day, Catherine of Siena, uh, our local, a, a, a saintly figure that's not well yeah. known around the world, but she, she's known here in Denver, Servant of God Julia Grayley, because she's here in Denver and and yep. her cause is up. So that's great. Um, you talk about the women at the cross and in the Gospels and and the women of the French Revolution. So. Do you have a favorite one of these that you love to talk about the most?
1: Oh, that's so hard because they're all my favorites. That's why that's why they're in the book, <laughs> right? <laughs> I love them each um in such different ways. I think I think first of all Julia Greeley is very dear to my heart because she is local here in Denver and her story, her life of generosity is so I want to say ordinary, but it's also extraordinary. What she was doing
0: yeah, yeah t- tell us about that. I, I, I'm familiar with it because I hear in Denver, but I'm going to bet most of listeners may have never even heard of Servant of God Julia Greeley, and there is an amazing story here. So share with us about that.
1: Yeah, so she is a woman who came to Denver uh, pretty early on, right as the city was being founded, and she was working as a servant for a family. Um, she's a Black Catholic, and she lived this life of just very humble living, where she just kind of worked day to day most of the time as a day laborer, just going around town, finding people that she could help, but, and, and and you know that's how she earned her living. But as she was doing that, she was taking notes of what was needed in that home, and so she would be visiting friends, she would be going to find odd jobs, and she would notice, oh, that family, that that child's sleeping on the floor, they need a mattress, or that family, those kids, those girls aren't showing up to the social events at church because they don't have proper dresses, and so they're, they're embarrassed to go to these events. And so at night, what she would do is she would secretly, after taking all these notes, drop off the needs of her community in secret. And they'd wake up in the morning and there would be food at their front door or there would be a mattress on their porch or whatever it is. And she did all of this in secret and out of love for her community. And she lived this life just Totally dependent on providence. Like she didn't have, you know, a whole lot to live from. But she was constantly just giving away whatever was given to her, and then begging and finding things for those in her community um, to make sure that they had what they needed. And I just, I love her story because it's it's so simple. The way that she used her her receptivity, um, receiving those in her community, finding a way to live her intuition, finding a way of her generosity. I mean, all these things that women bring out was lived out in Julia in such a simple way and it shows us that you don't have to you know go found a religious order or be a queen who gives everything up to be a saint but we can be saints right here in our everyday lives.
0: And you have her listed as exemplifying particularly generosity and just looking out for other people's needs in the midst of your daily life and yeah she didn't start like the missionaries of charity you know which was an amazing thing mother teresa did right. of course um but she's just right there in her own community looking around and noticing people's needs and, and wanting to help. That's something anyone can do, whether you're young, you're single, uh, whether you're married and you have kids of your own and you're, you're looking out for other families. This is something you do right in the midst of your own daily life. that That's a great, great example there. Now, I mentioned before the show here that the one I was most intrigued by comes in chapter nine of your book, Strength. So it's the it's the virtue of strength and the women of the French Revolution. So tell us about these these amazing women.
1: I know. They are definitely little known. If if you think few people know about Julia Greeley, I think even fewer know about these women of the French Revolution and I was first introduced to them actually at a course that I took at the August Institute it was called Women of the Church and we were exploring the lives of women throughout history in the church and we got to the French Revolution and I was just enthralled by these women because I had not really known a whole lot about the French Revolution prior to this course. You know, you think of Marie Antoinette, you think of the guillotine, and, and beyond that, I don't know. I just—there were some pieces missing, I guess. <laughs> but there's this whole side of the French Revolution that I think a lot of people don't understand about what was happening in the Church. And part of the goal of the French Revolution was to get rid of the Catholic Church and was to make uh, religion— something that was controlled by the state entirely, um, and even to wipe out, in some cases, Christianity, depending on what time you're entering into the French Revolution. But in particular, this time when it was really the worst, when Robespierre was was in charge, um, he was getting rid of all the religious communities. He was shutting down all the priests who were faithful to the pope, and he was really trying to rewrite the Catholic Church. And he thought that he was going to be able to do this, but his greatest adversary was actually the peasant women of the French Revolution. So these mothers who were just out in the country living their lives as farmers, living just their very simple, humble lives. And they were the ones who fought back against him to the point where, if you look at it, really, they are, according to many scholars, like they're the reason that he did not succeed. He would come in and he would say, okay, we're going to take out this church t- bell tower. You know, they were trying to get rid of anything that, that exemplified Catholicism. And the women would be up in the bell tower holding a crucifix and saying, you can't have our bell tower. <laughs> this is ours. Or there's stories of them, the state or whatever, the French, the revolutionaries, um, were taking the people who wanted to basically get rid of Catholicism. I don't know quite what their names are, but they were, you know, taking over the church buildings or the rectories, and and the women were standing around the buildings and not letting them take them over. And they were underground in the church at that time, teaching their children the Rosary. There were religious sisters who had been, you know, stripped of their uh, habits, but were still living their religious life underground and teaching catechism to these country kids who would come at night to to learn their catechism. And so it was really this like strength of these women who banded together and said, you cannot take away our faith. You cannot take away our religion. And as a communal group, they fought back. And in many ways, I think that's the reason why France still has so much of its Catholic identity.
0: Mm. A lot of application for today. What would you say from their example— uh, to women today? Well, if you mm-hmm. wanted just to share their hearts, given what we're facing in our own country, uh, mm-hmm. this increasing secularization and persecution of Christians in many different ways, it's it's not as direct and as intense as what it was during the French Revolution, but we may not be far off from that. Uh, what would you say to women today, whether they're moms in the home raising kids or you're a single woman in the workplace? Like, How, how can we live their their legacy today?
1: Yes, I thought about that so much as I was reading their story. I was like, "Oh man, I'm seeing some some similarities here." Right? Like you said, not as intense. We're not going to, you know, claim that, but I think what it teaches us and it shows us is just the power of community and not allowing ourselves to be isolated and not allowing ourselves to think Um, Oh, well, you know, to allow those little things like comparison and looking at another woman thinking, oh, she's holier than me, but realizing like we're on the same team and we have to work together for this. We as women, we have to band together to be that collective mother of our country and to um, be in prayer together, to be supporting each other, to recognize that no— woman is meant to live this Christian life, this Catholic life alone, but that that together we can really be a loud voice um, for the good, for the truth.
0: Yeah, I, and I, what strikes me there is if you are isolated, if you are alone, uh, it's more likely that this culture will continue to s- sweep things away and continue mm. to become ever more anti-Christian. And um it'll be harder and harder for Christians to live their faith. And so how important it is, and, and I'm thinking of these women in these rural areas especially is where this was happening. It's not mm-hmm. like you have a lot of next door neighbors easily around, but they they came together and they stood up for truth together. And there's great we get we get greater confidence and courage when we know I'm not the only one. And I I just think there's a lot of Women and men too, but but I I meet a lot of women out there that, that wonder I'm the only one I'm here at home I'm raising my kids I'm lonely, and the only connection I have is on social media. If I don't have any real people around me, and and, and that could be isolating for your own personal faith life, and and your faith life may not grow and develop if you don't make it a priority to have that fellowship together. But what I I I've not thought of before until your comments here about the women of the French Revolution is this isn't just for your own faith life, women. You know, this is this is for the good of the country, for the good of the church. The church needs you to come together. And I will just say, as I travel all around the country, I know you do too, Lisa, and when you meet these women, that they come together. They're in a women's group. They're in a moms group. They're in a Bible study group. Uh, these these are women of force. <laughs> you don't want to mess with them. They, they're, they they are agents of change in their parishes. They're leading things and they're leading souls to to Christ and evangelization. And they're 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 doing good things for the pro life movement, standing up for human life. You know, you just get the sense because they are together, um, and, and they're they're enriching each other in their own faith life. They are 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 even greater witnesses and courageous witnesses in the culture.
1: Mm hmm. It reminds me of um, kind of one of the last things that I end the book on is when Pope Paul VI at the end of Vatican II, he comes in and he's giving those addresses to the different groups of people as he's kind of closing out this great council. And his address to women really is kind of this call that I feel like could have been for the women of the French Revolution and is for the woman of today, too. Is it okay if I read it real quick? It's so powerful. Yeah,
0: please, please read
1: it. Okay. He says, watch carefully over the future of our human race. Hold back the hand of man who in a moment of folly might attempt to destroy human civilization. You to whom life is entrusted at this grave moment in history it is for you to save the peace of the world. And that was his wow. like marching orders to women at the end wow. of Vatican II. So powerful.
0: I'm not a woman. I feel I got marching orders though. I was that was inspiring. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that is that is great. That is great. Well, let's let's just touch on one more saint, could we? Uh, and I yeah. I like going after some of these again that people don't know as well. I mean, I think a lot of people have heard of Saint Catherine of Siena and Elizabeth Ann Seton and. They may not know the story of Dorothy Day. If we had more time, I'd love to talk about Dorothy Day and her own spirituality. A lot of people don't know that. They know she cared for the poor, but they don't know about her incredible devotion to the Lord and the many sacrifices she made in her life. But... But there's one of these modern saints. I want, and, it, and you start off with her in chapter three, Chiara Corbella. Now, everyone always mm-hmm. asks me, Oh, did you name your daughter Chiara after Chiara Corbella? And I was like, Well, no, we just did it after St. Clair, but, we'll, but we'll take her too. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> we'll, right, we, clamor. We, we'll her. take her at a session. Tell the listeners a little bit about her story and why you chose her to exemplify receptivity.
1: Oh, so Chiara is so dear to my heart. It's kind of crazy when I was giving that first talk for that first seek that this book kind of sprang out of. As I was preparing, I had two women from Focus reach out to me who had been in Rome when she passed and during the time of her funeral. And there was this huge buzz going around Rome about this Chiara Corbella Petrio who had just passed away. And they heard her story, and one of them actually ended up going to her funeral. But both of these women who did not know each other separately emailed me and said, Lisa, there's this woman's story you need to know about. And they didn't even know I was preparing this talk for this upcoming Focus conference. And I said, "Okay, well, tell me what you know. And so they began to send me anything they could find on her. And so that very first seek, this was about six months. Months after she passed away, I shared her story at that first seek because it was such a powerful witness. Um, She's very much a modern day woman, right? She and I were born like four months apart. So she's, I look at her life and she's, you know, she's this woman who lives at my time. She was a mother, she was a wife. And so I see this connection. And she was really the first person who I looked at her life and said, Oh, it is possible to become a saint. I can do that. Like, I I can strive for that. I can live this. And it was because her life was this life where she really exemplified this idea of receptivity in the way that she received Everything from the Lord, whether that be blessings or whether that be sorrows, she completely trusted in Him. Not that her life was, you know, always smiles and joys, like she felt deep pain sometimes, and she talked about those struggles, but at the same time, she always returned back to the Lord immediately and said, Okay, Lord, you're going to be my strength. And so, it, really, how her story goes is it's a bit like Saint Gianna in the sense that. She had been blessed with um, the gift of—well, this part's a little different than Gianna—but she had been blessed with the gift of two children. But both of these children had terminal um, reasons why they couldn't survive outside the womb. And so for her first two pregnancies, she carried her children to full term, and then they were born, and within about a half hour, they passed away. And I can't even imagine like how gut-wrenching that would be as a mother to lose your children so quickly, to have been so intimately connected with them for those nine months, and then to have to let go of them right after they're born, to see them alive and then baptize them and have to say goodbye to them. And so she began to speak out about the gift of life and the gift of even a short life. And then in her third pregnancy, her pregnancy was going along just, just perfectly. Everything was wonderful with this third child. But halfway through the pregnancy, they came to find out that, that she had cancer. And so she had this choice to make between either aggressively going after this cancer, which could have harmed her child, or ensuring that her child was able to come safely into this world without any harm, but knowing that that might mean harm to her own body. And after losing two children, she said, there, there's no choice here. I will protect my child. I will I will help them to grow. I will help them to develop. And, and whatever that means for me, then that's what that means for me. And so her third son was born and. Um, Happy, healthy baby, but then she went right into battling cancer. Um, but within a year, it was just a battle that she could not she could not win. Her body was already um, too much filled with with cancer, and so a year after her son was born, she passed away. But the documentation of how she handled her sufferings, how she handled all that came her way, just give this amazing witness of joy in the midst of great suffering, and how our Lord. Can be our strength and our hope, even when things seem like it's great despair. She was able to turn to him um, in a way that's an example to all of us of how do we receive from the Lord all that he desires to give us.
0: Mm. Wow. She's a, a great modern saint, one that we should learn more about. I'm glad that you have her uh, in the book. But let's close with this I, I want to hear a little more about the receptivity in her life. Like, how, how does she inspire you? you know, how, or, or the average person today in that particular quality of being receptive to the Lord?
1: Mm-hmm. She is, um, well, she had a very, um, I believe it's Franciscan, it's gotta be Franciscan, um, background, spirituality. And so she had this little phrase that she lived by that was really inspiring to me. And that that was the moment where I was like, oh, I could do that, <laughs> right? Sometimes we can look at, if we looked at our whole lives and all that God's asking of us, it'd be really hard to say a big yes. But what Chiara did is she lived by this little phrase, it was piccoli passi possibili, which you probably know what that is, um, but it's small possible steps. And so it's this idea that, All we have to do is say yes to and receive from the Lord what's in front of us in that moment, right? So she might be um, getting ready to go into a treatment. It's like, okay, well, I can't say yes to this whole cancer battle, Lord, but I can say yes to this one treatment right now, right? So I can take that small possible step. I can find joy in this moment. I can find peace in the midst of of this day, or I can— uh, also, you know, not just the sorrows, but also the joys, right. Like I can receive this gift of this time with my family, this gift of this time where I'm feeling good and where we can, you know take that pilgrimage. She went on pilgrimage when she was really sick with her family. Um and so that's like that's the way I'm like, okay, that's what the average woman can do. I can do that. I can just live moment by moment. I can say yes and receive from God that child who comes to me who is just distraught because their granola bar broke in half and they can't possibly eat it anymore, right? <laughs> I can say yes to... Um this situation that's going on um with my husband where we're, we're we're just like at an impasse and we're not really able to figure out how are we going to solve this okay well, i can say yes to being present in that moment and trying to love my husband and ask for the grace that i need for my marriage in this moment right and so it's this philosophy and this idea of of receiving it doesn't have to be this grand yes that's overwhelming but just this smaller yes in the moment
0: mm. Amen. What a way to end this. Uh, And I'm sure you've enticed many of us to want to get this book and to read through and learn more about these saints. Uh, uh, This is Lisa Cotter, and her book is Reveal the Gift, Living the Feminine Genius with Ascension Press. You can get this at ascensionpress.com. We'll put this in the show notes. And Lisa, if anyone wants to reach you, how how do they contact you?
1: I do have a website, it's made to magnify and the two is spelled out T-O, made to magnify off of Mary's Magnificat, made to magnify.com. And then also I'm on Instagram at Lisa Ann Cotter. It's Ann with no E. I'm not the best at social media, but you can certainly reach out to me there via direct message.
0: Well, thank you so much for being on the show, and thank you for writing this book and all that you do to serve the Church, especially inspiring women to live their, their calling and their dignity and live feminine genius. So, thanks so much for listening, my friends. This is All Things Catholic. I'm your host, Edward Sri. And as always, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or on my website as well, Edwards edwardsri.com. That's edwardsri.com.